Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Anyway, speaking of serious leadership. <laughs> I was listening to an audiobook this week. Mm. It was Are called... you much of an audiobook guy? Or do you prefer the, the written word? I well, okay, the thing about audiobooks is you can listen at double speed. <laughs> and I don't are you double do you watch stuff in double speed? No. No. Really? I'm a big big double speed guy. Maybe double speed. That's a bit f- too fast for me to process. Like mm. 1.5 speed. Mm. I'll get around that. But. Yeah. Well, the great thing was this book was called Johnson at 10. And it's this like posh. I'm assuming he's a Tory. We didn't really, in the audiobook, he didn't really cover much policy. Mm. It was just the backstory and how Johnson was an incapable leader, unlike David Cameron. Mm. Um, <laughs> so you can kind of get the angle that, that he was coming from. Protect mm. the BBC. And <laughs> basically... Listening to him at double speed was a bit of a treat. Yeah. I sometimes, mm. I sound, did it fun. sound like just Boris Johnson talking? Because oh. he sort of speaks at double speed, like we saw in the uh, <laughs> in that clip before. We are two minutes and 23 seconds here. <laughs> We've already got that one out there. The, what, yeah. what are you referring to? The Boris Johnson rap god video that we just watched <laughs> uh, all of three minutes ago <laughs> to really get us in the mood. It's It was pretty, it was pretty spectacular. And I will also add that when I edit the podcast, I... Et- edit it at double speed so wow. i listen at double speed and just <laughs> oh there's yeah cut that bit out cut that bit out Smart. yeah i it, think yeah i think maybe just listening to audio that'd be fine but i, I think it's because i'm usually doing the double speed or 1.5 speed on a video mm. that might be where double speed on a video is a lot yeah you, yeah. you mm. do a lot of <laughs> I, I just realized i did actions on an auditory yeah. <laughs> medium if you were to guess so we're going to cover the life of Boris Johnson today. Mm. So life and times. We'll, we'll focus obviously most of his most Bojo. of our time on when he was yeah prime minister. If you were to guess where he went to school, oh, he's, Eton College. He is an Eton College yeah, boy. Had to be. What are they called? Had what to be they? some sort of preppy GPS vibe kind of <laughs> kind of school. What's the alum an Etonite is that what the alumni? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm just so, thinking of 
You guys ever seen like the Audi equivalent of of Jats called Etons? <laughs> <laughs> Audi, not the car Audi. No, no Audi, 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 yeah. like the supermarket. Good, Audi. good, different Audi. You know, they are good, the the supermarket different. chain. Yeah, they have um, different. they just have a Jats equivalent called Eton. So yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Eton College. Um, yeah. Must be must be annoying for Audi, who are trying to position themselves as a, a prestige luxurious car brand and then we have Audi <laughs> kind of on the opposite spectrum for the supermarket yeah the, there's an angle for a year 11 business studies report yeah, there. there's something, there's something <laughs> coming yeah, how damaging is an association with Audi or Audi Audi so Audi's he, great though he, he, yeah, yeah. It, it quite frankly is so he did go to Eton College he was an Etonite someone was actually two years below him at school David Cameron so wow. Cameron. Now that is closer than we were at school. Damn. So I mean they haven't done a podcast 15 years <laughs> later, so he's really the, the so, more star alumni here. They were probably in SRC together. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine like the Eaton SRC election campaigns? How heated like that would be seriously because when I was at Prac, yeah. I did it at a so SRC at where we went to high school was mm-hmm. pretty was pretty was pretty low key. Yeah, um, yeah. At people missed out. People missed out, but, but mostly when yeah. I did Prac at a selective school, it was it was a proper election campaign with, with yeah with like yeah. with a bit of smear and a bit of like Damn. negative campaigning against other people. So at yeah. Eton, I could see parents getting involved. I mean, Eton school fees of, are what fifty thousand pounds a year yeah, or something. Maybe wow. like add an extra. Ten thousand pounds look favorably on my my son in the election campaign. <laughs> yeah, he's a new swimming pool. And when he was at Eton, he was involved in theatre. As mm. yeah, it was like the r- rugby rowing and theatre. I think were the three that you could okay. go go with. And so and it is an all boys school. Yeah, of and course. Yeah. and Johnson was a rugby player as well. We'll come yeah. on to that. Yeah, <laughs> he strikes me as such. <laughs> and basically, one of the things that Johnson is. As, as, as said Polo. was that when he was at Eton he realised he got more laughs on stage from not knowing his lines than for executing his lines well and that apparently shaped a lot of his philosophy <laughs> in public life of if you always mispronounce your lines and if you always sound like you don't know what you're talking about mm. your opponents won't know when you actually don't know what you're talking about <laughs> it's, it's, it's foolproof it's, um, it's 4D chess and he's he's Alyssa, I'm like that. That sounds unbelievable. That surely he's. That's just kind of a bit of like Tory smear against Boris. He has said that. I've listened to the video where he has said that out loud, and he's kind of giggling and giving the eyes to the, the interviewer Ooh. as he's doing that. Well, Vegan sausage roll. <laughs> <laughs> Invite you in for some tea. Now, where would you guess he would have gone to have? To college. Oxford. He is in Oxford. So you're two from two so far. Let's go. Yeah. Did David Cameron also go to Oxford? I think, I think he did. Cambridge. Oh, was he a Cambridge I'm, I'm just I guessing. think he was okay. an Oxford guy. So was that Maybe. where he did the thing to the pig? <laughs> True. Story for another Maybe day. Actually, university. this is not our last British because, I mean, reading a book on austerity in Britain, that one's going to have- What does austerity mean? Um, so austere is like a Greek was a Greek word for hard times. So mm. austerity is kind of harsh measures that will make people go mm. through hard times. Yeah, we'll come on to that. Well, that yeah. is another podcast is in, in itself. Is that like shock therapy? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's some elements that were quite similar yeah. to Russian shock therapy and British yeah. austerity. Mm. Mm. And so 
we'll come onto the policy in, yeah. another day. And because yep. David yep. Cameron is the is the poster boy for austerity, so we will do David Cameron then as well. Cam's a also for our listeners. Cam's a Brit as well, so he he loves his Brit. British, uh, British yes, history. I do hold a UK passport. I was going for Ben Stokes when he was hitting those sixes. <laughs> Crown as well. We can talk about that. <laughs> Finally, new, new, new season coming out soon. True. So getting on that that trend. That yeah, <laughs> that's a, yeah, yeah. So he went to Oxford, and in Oxford he studied classics, and so mm. was really into his Roman and his Greek ancient history. And he actually he later wrote a biography about Shakespeare. So that's not classics, but you can kind of see the kind of background where he's from. And so the kind of the comparison with Trump, it's a little myopic because Trump is you very much like New Yorkian, doesn't have time for high society stuff. Whereas Boris Johnson's background was that he was a product of the aristocracy in Britain, went Mm. to Eton, went to Oxford, studied the classics and wrote biographies about Churchill and Shakespeare. So the fact that Boris is this kind of common man fighting for your Brexiteer kind of thing is really a product of later history. The bit where Johnson starts to move into kind of the filth of the commons is he actually becomes a columnist. He was a columnist, firstly, so he was the Brussels correspondent um, from 1989 to 1995. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that was for the Telegraph. And so he was commentating on the EU from quite a young age by being the Brussels correspondent. The bit that I enjoy more was that from... What correspondence are we getting from Brussels? (laughs) Pretty positive. Okay. No, but just what's there... Is it more just like like, what's there to talk about? Is that what you're saying? The EU. Right. Okay. So that's where EU is based in Brussels. So whenever you hear Uh, Brussels shorthand... When you said columnist, I was thinking like he's a journalist. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. So he's a columnist. He's the foreign correspondent. Reporting. Yeah, yeah. That would have been easier. Uh, The EU EU correspondent, so to speak. Peter Stefanovic. He's, a, he's the news anchor. Yeah, but he used to be. Oh, was he? Uh, yeah. uh, Spent his time or, in the field yeah. before he got to the... Uh, maybe, um, who was the... Daniel Garb, maybe, used to be the one for uh, Fox Sports. Fox Sports. I remember him. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. Daniel Garb. Daniel Garb, he's the... Uh, he's our, our journalist with the Ballon d'Or vote, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Again. <laughs> unrelated. So he was, yeah, basically the correspondent. The one that I enjoy more was that he was editor for The Spectator. What's The Spectator? Is that... The go- like from Gossip Girl, the <laughs> one that Nate Archibald. I believe to- Liz Hurley's Daily Spectator yeah. from Gossip Girl yeah. is has drawn inspiration from the Spectator that Boris Johnson edited. Yeah, is that like a because it's like Liz Hurley's British, right? And yeah, she comes from British, and she's like, we're starting this new newspaper, yeah, the Spectator in yeah. New York. Yeah, it's huge in Europe. Yeah, wow, the threads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it like a is it like a tabloid newspaper? Is yeah. that what it is? Tabloid. So. Trying and it's competing with Gossip Girl to get the information. <laughs> oh, damn! Wait, 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 were you referring to the Spectator or the Daily Spectator from Gossip Girl? Which <laughs> no, no, the the actual Spectator. The, from actual, the actual Spectator was yeah, yeah, yeah. One tab- of those like tabloids with like what's what's Beck's done next. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so basically, the kind of impression that we got was that Boris was a really popular editor and kind of created a bit of cult of personality around himself when he was mm. the editor, but. A lot of journalists came frustrated with him because he was really demanding and they'd like kind of get this ripper story and then he just wouldn't read it and it would never get published. And so there was the idea that he was a little bit lazy and that he liked to party. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) COVID party. Could be his Achilles heels. (laughs) What do you think a party would look like for him in that 
stage of his life. Just think of the, all the rugby polos that would be worn. <laughs> like, think of, think of the fits. In, and there's also the like, like so, he's not he's not in the he's not in the nightclubs. No, no, no. Yeah, like yeah, like home yeah. parties. But still, like he's his womanizing kind of never stopped. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of multi. So what? He's been married three times. I had mistresses pretty much in those first two marriages, and was was known for repeatedly cheating on his wife. That's pretty, I can say that pretty comfortably without slandering the guy. And so that the womanizing was kind of a huge part of Boris's parties. And so that kind of formed a lot of his, his kind of early life. And that was by, for me, that was like in the audio book, hearing the posh British guy talk about the spectator was, 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 was pretty phenomenal at double speed when I was in the gym. <laughs> but in 2001, he actually enters the House of Commons for the UK Conservative Party. Mm. Now, obviously, he's not going to join Labour because he's a product of the aristocracy, but he is seen on the left of the Tory party at that point in history. So you kind of got, you've got your Tory party. Basically, the thing that... There's not really a conservative ideology that really prevails throughout the Conservative Party. The main thing that I would kind of define them as is that they're not Labour, as in they, they do not represent the workers... And they're not beholden to the interest of unions. That's kind of the thing that they have in common. So from that point, there's such a huge spectrum on what they, what each Tory MP would advocate for. And I know if you listen to American commentary, they get really angry, particularly like your right-wing American commentators. They get really angry because the Tories aren't conservative on any social issues or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's like that's a bit of a misnomer because the Tories have never claimed to be that socially conservative it's mainly like conserving the institutions of Britain, which is a pretty vague concept in of itself. Yeah. I'd say the main thing that defines the Tories is that they're not represented by unions and they don't answer to unions like the UK Labour Party does. And so Boris is actually seen on the left of the Tory party. Malcolm Turnbull is the, is the person that comes to mind in how he's viewed at the time. Kind of, has this celebrity background before coming to politics. Turnbull, Kerry Packer's lawyer. Mm. And kind of... Turnbull's got that real, like, private schoolboy kind of... Yes. He he probably did a bit of theatre. He, oh, he, he did yeah. his law reviews. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, big time. <laughs> so where, where are we at? What year are we at at the moment? So early 2000s. So okay. he's still editor of The Spectator while being a House of Commons MP yeah. for the Tory party. <laughs> he's got a little kind of... Little side, little vice that he's got on the side. <laughs> it's, his, it's his release from all the constraints of politics. And he's actually of the class of it. So David Cameron comes through at the same time. And it's like, because I'm pretty, uh, I'll, I'll fact check myself later. I'm pretty sure Cameron went to Oxford as well. So you've got Johnson and Cameron just can't escape each other. They're at school together. They're at Oxford <laughs> together. And now they're in the House of Commons together. And they rise through the Tory party. Do you reckon there was a, I guess it wouldn't be uncommon, right? There'd probably be a lot of Eton and Oxford alum in that party, True. to be honest. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. So it's know, like some, that's that's the pathway if you it, were. <laughs> yeah, especially through the Tory party. Mm. It is weird to think about someone you've gone to primary school with effectively, because I'm pretty sure Eton's K to 12. Mm. That <laughs> imagine the person who beat you in the school captain race. That, that's what I was thinking, right? Like, it, yeah. Uh, I guess they weren't in the same year, so they wouldn't have had True. that competition. But yeah, geez, you could like they were probably talking about David Cameron's campaign during Boris's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like oh, I remember. Ooh. 
Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you've learned from that, Dave. <laughs> Do you remember who was in power? I've checked. Cameron did go to Oxford. He did go there to Oxford. Go. And he was born in Marylebone. Yes. Which is where Lords is. Mm. Topical. Mm. Topical. Is it slope at Lords? I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> I said that. Glenn McGraw was. I good. said that numerous <laughs> times to my wife as we were watching. Like she was like, I don't know, on her phone, not paying attention at all. It is baffling though. And I was like, about it. see that boundary over there? That's an easy one for Stoke to hit a six on. But that one, oh, the gradient is. <laughs> and she was like, okay. <laughs> now, not, not phased. Who was in power during the early 2000s in Britain? Tony Blair. Tony Blair. Do you know what party he's from? Labour. The Labour Party. Yeah. Yeah. So Tony Blair, he's, so Labour kind of dominate the early 2000s. So Tony Blair is kind of the last real, you can maybe argue that Cameron was a bit of a titan, but Tony Blair was the last real titan that UK politics has had. The merry-go-round's more common in Australia. Like we, we had a Howard who had a bit of a long stay. The mm. merry-go-round is more common in Australia than it is in Britain. Britain's used to your Thatchers who hang around throughout the 80s. Britain's used to kind of John Major, Tony Blair, people that hang around for a pretty decent, like John Major less so, but Tony Blair around for a decade. And so Tony Blair steps down, Gordon Brown becomes leader of the Labour Party and then the Labour Party loses to David Cameron and Cameron has to form a coalition government. That being said, Boris Johnson steps down as a House of Commons MP in 2008. And from 2008 to 2014, he was out of the game in the House of Commons. Is he back on The Spectator? Is He's he not on, on The Spectator. <laughs> Some mayor of London. He is mayor of London. Mm. And yeah. like, have you heard of like the Boris? Like, do you remember when we were in London? Do you hear about the Boris bikes at all? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't remember that. Um, it's in one of Stormzy's songs. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of trapping on a Boris bike. <laughs> <laughs> so... Basically, Mayor of London is the perfect gig for Boris because he gets to be the good guy all the time. So cut mm. the ribbons. Um, twenty twelve London Olympics. That's in his kind of tenure as well. Yeah, and so he gets to host. Like he's just having the time of his life. And so that basically, I yeah don't know the ins and outs of the policy of Boris's time in men. I think it was relatively inconsequential, especially when you kind of look at the later picture. But he has a great time as mayor. And in the time when he is mayor, he is seen as a very likable figure. The Tories don't usually win London. That's usually Labour heartland because it's yeah, in metropolitan and inner city. Mm. And so Boris is actually viewed very positively in his time as mayor. He's seen as a happy-go-lucky guy, mm. guy that doesn't take himself too seriously, kind mm. of a jolly like as progressive as you can get. He's just good around, I mean, good around the boys. Like, he's just good in the change room. Bikes <laughs> seem like a good idea. And like, yeah, like is 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 yeah. He can put his name to the reforms. The Olympics is an absolute success, mm. even though the infrastructure was entirely built before Boris. But mm. that's neither here nor there. He has a really good time as 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 mayor, and people really like him. Cam, when do we when do we get to the part about the invertebrate jellies? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm here for. <laughs> that is actually when he is mayor. Really? Yeah. So it's not when he's prime minister. That's when he's mayor. Oh, so I feel like I, yeah. maybe I only saw the video jellies. like um like I don't know two years ago maybe so I just assumed it was his time as mm. as PM. And there he, you go. he look he, he looks exactly the same now. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. The again one of the things about the mop it does disguise your age quite well. Could be forty, could be sixty. Really yeah. hard to tell. Real good sort of like cover up for your hairline kind of thing. Yeah. I like it. Want to factor again, in? Again, <laughs> keeps keeps throwing people left right <laughs> the center. Did the book cover the hair? No, the book didn't, unfortunately. Mm. I think that... Is it a 
toupee, you think, or it's his hair? I mean, I just like to see the best in people, so I'm just yeah. going <laughs> to... But it's surely surely dyed, right? Do you reckon? Mm. Do you reckon it's it a, natu- to he's a natural... I mean, naturally that blonde? Boris is a Scandinavian name. He's got... Yeah. He could have genes okay. aside. Okay. But the invertebrate jellies thing was he tried to basically pass a tax, if I'm not mistaken, and it local government in London, they didn't allow for debate on the tax before going to a vote. And so the opposition were like, no, nah, we're not having a debate. We're going straight to a vote on the tax right now. And Boris mm. was like, well, you're spineless to not allow to have, us to have a debate about this. And so that's why he called them invertebrate jellies. Invertebrate jellies. <laughs> I think that, let's let's include the audio, I reckon. Are you saying they, don't, they haven't the guts to put questions to me? What Great is it, um, supine protoplasmic invertebrate jellies. I just love it. It's just great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, so cla- that's that's got eaten written all over it. You know, that's not, yeah, that's how, you, that's how you you call out someone, you insult someone with sophistication. Yeah, I feel. yeah. and that's where he got a he, he Yeah, he built up to that as well. He said some stuff beforehand, and that was the, the invertebrate jellies was the climax and of the insult. Yeah. yeah, and I think it goes downhill. I think his insults go downhill from there. Yeah, I think okay. he, I think he loses a bit of his magic, in probably in a similar way to Trump, where you will, you watch Trump's 2015, 2016 presidential campaigning, and there's some like there's a lot of charm around his insults, and then by 2020, 2021, it just gets old and repetitive, and mm. it's it's not as funny as what it used to be. Whereas you look at Boris Boris Johnson as well, I actually think the sophistication of his insults got worse over time, yeah. and so anyway, he's mayor of London. And basically, 2014 steps down to get back in the House of Commons and get back in the game. I'm pretty sure some Tory MP was made to sacrifice their seat. A by-election was triggered and Boris Johnson got to take a pretty safe seat somewhere in London, I'm pretty sure. I think that was what the book kind of was saying about how he got back in. Yeah. Now, is 2014, who's the Prime Minister of the UK? Is it David Cameron? It is David Cameron. Cameron's in. And so, long-term mates... What David Cameron has done is he's effectively put Brexit to a referendum. Now, he is trying to... Was that to- in 2014? No, no, no. So, 2016 was when Brexit was. I was going to say, yeah. Um, but what, what's, what's... He's basically kind of kicking goals here. So, look, taking a leaf out of John Howard's book, John Howard did not want us to become a republic. He wanted us to remain as a monarchy. So, mm-hmm. in 1999, he put it to a referendum, pretty confident that that would actually kind of stop the debate for 20, 30 years. Yeah. And he's confident right now, people will vote no, give it another 10 years. And particularly off the back of like Diana and how much dislike there was for Prince Charles. If Charles becomes king in the next 10 years, we could become a republic rather than a monarchy. I don't want that. Let's put it to a referendum now. That'll stop the debate. And if someone says in five years time, let's become a republic, I can say we had a referendum five years ago, respect people's wishes. David Cameron is kind of taking a leaf out of that book because mm. there's growing Brexit sentiment. He does not want Brexit whatsoever. And again, the Tories don't have a unified ideology on any on any of this really. And so he's trying to suppress people within his own party and he's trying to shut Brexit down. The other thing he's trying to shut down is Scottish independence because that's in yeah, 2014. Yeah, right. And so the Scots, they vote for their independence in 2014. They, well, they vote against their independence in 2014. Cameron's cheering tick that one's done um we won't be seeing him for a while Mm. is kind of cameron's thought okay 2016 brexit same thing let's kick that goal and let's just stop the brexit chat right here and then 
He needs to have his A-team of campaigners to stop Brexit. Mm. And he calls his old mate. He calls Boris. Yep. Boris was a Remainer. In 2000... I see. I think it's in 2009 or 2010, somewhere around then, there's a, a clip of him speaking about, on the balance of things, I think we should probably remain in the EU. For all its flaws... I think we should stay. And he was a Brussels correspondent for six years mm. in his earlier life. So Cameron gives Boris Johnson the call to be like, hey, mate, okay, are we on here? Boris kind of goes, I'll think about it. And Boris Johnson comes back and he says, you know what? I'm going to join the leave team. Wow. What's in it for Boris? Why would he, why would he want to join leave? Power. The new mm. position. He, a title? I yeah, don't know. this yeah. can effectively a similar thing to what Tur- so so Turnbull and Abbott they both made their names on the Republican vs Monarchy debate. Turnbull was the face of the Republican vote. Abbott was the face of the Monarchy vote. And mm. you put your name to a referendum and a social cause, and you watch someone will lead the voice to Parliament later this year. Someone will lead the opposition against it. Yep. So some kind of unknown liberal backbencher will lead the charge against it, and that liberal backbencher is just trying to build a profile for either himself or herself. Mm. And so, and and same goes the other way as well. Mm. And so Boris basically comes out pretty like one would think, and this was the kind of editorial opinion of, of, of the writer of this book that basically Boris took the Brexit stance to build a profile for himself and kind of create a bit of branding around himself within the party mm. that could then push him into the prime minister's office. There's, I don't know if there's there a quote from Boris Johnson from when he was very young, like I'm talking childhood, when they asked him at Eton what he wanted to be when he grew up and he said king of the world. So <laughs> he's he's had his he's had his eyes set in, on the top <laughs> job yeah. from from the very beginning. Basically, he leads the Brexit charge. And he is the face of Brexit. Brexit means Brexit. And that is a huge coup for the Brexit campaign because people loved Boris. Mm. He was the jolly, happy mayor who didn't take himself too seriously. Do you reckon Do you reckon Boris decided the Brexit campaign? Like, do you think that if he had stayed as a Remainer, they would have remained? Such was his influence. Or yes. do you think he's a just a, a smaller pawn in a bigger picture? I think no. I think I think he because the, 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 it was paper thin. It was fifty two forty eight. The referendum. I think he probably did because you've got Nigel Farage and Nigel Farage is pushing the migration thing hard. That's his angle. We need to stop foreign migration coming into Britain, and, and he kind of really appeals to those that tend to have right wing proclivities to begin with. Yeah. Mm. But we've got to remember there is a huge, like, there was a lot of, a lot of people who voted for Brexit were Labor voters. A lot of them were not... It was the Tory establishment who really didn't want Brexit. And so what Boris Johnson did is Boris Johnson... So those Labour voters detest Nigel Farage. They view him as kind of like race baiting and Mm. playing into kind of what they would call xenophobia. Boris Johnson, he gave it more of an intellectual edge. Now, obviously, Mm. like when he kind of bumbles and and does that, he doesn't come across as particularly intellectual. But he has been mayor of London... He is Eton, he's Oxford, and if this Eton and Oxford guy is saying we should leave the EU, maybe there's a bit of gravitas towards it. And Boris Johnson's whole angle on Brexit was it was about national sovereignty. Not that it was about the economy, not that it was about migration. And he was arguing, like, the 
kind of all the, the the free trade network of free trade deals that happen in the EU, we can get that by creating trade deals with growing economies like Brazil, like India, and, and that sort of thing. And so mm. he's giving weight to the argument that Nigel Farage wasn't doing in the same way. And they appealed to different groups of people. Yeah. A lot of... A lot of like Nigel Farage was UKIP. That was his background. So he's always Brexit has been his thing from day one. And that's the thing that was his mission in politics. Whereas that wasn't Boris's from the beginning. Mm. And so Boris was a little bit more accepted by the, though the establishment still didn't want Brexit. Boris was a lot more acceptable than someone like Nigel Farage was. And I think Boris probably did get it over the line. What are Damn. some, uh, what are some, some cliff notes on uh, pros and cons Brexit? Basically pros. So th- just think of it as being in your union at your workplace. So being in the EU means that when you need to negotiate with countries like China over energy deals and that sort of stuff and, and trade deals and you know, na- navigating tariffs and that sort of thing, you can collectively barter as a union rather than as one country. And so when you have Germany, when you have France, you can kind of collectively negotiate with. That puts you in a much stronger position at the negotiating table. For me, that's why I think you should remain. For that, that's the primary reason why I think remain was the right call. And so Britain's kind of got to navigate that on, on themselves. Now they've got to navigate that on themselves and they don't have the support of the EU when dealing with those other countries. Mm. The pro is that it frees them up to then go against the EU when they want to go against the EU. So if they want to sign a deal like AUKUS, which, let's be real, screwed over the French massively, they're now at liberty to do that because they're not part of the EU. The EU would have heavily condemned that had they done that within the EU. Yep. So it kind of gives the government more freedom, but I would argue that your safety is in Europe, not away from Europe. And so that, that, that they're probably the main two things. Other than that, a lot of it's just branding. Like you're racist if you vote leave or basically you're, yeah, you're, you, you, you're sipping the Kool-Aid if you vote remain and you believe like what the establishment yeah. wants you to. Yeah. Well, like the sentiment on... That was the sentiment on like social media and yeah. such to that Brexit was bad. Mm. Yeah. And it was, it was a pretty, su- the thing that frustrated me was a lot of it was a substance. The things that got clicks were the substanceless stuff. Like it's it going like, to make it harder to travel and. Um, yeah. Which, no, that's just. Yeah. All the people with like, oh no, I have a European passport and now it's less useful because it doesn't help with England. <laughs> it's like. Well. Like that's, what the, pe- that's what people care about. More. That's, yeah. well, to be honest, that's what I care yeah. about. Like, <laughs> I've got a it. UK passport. Did you? You didn't. Um, you didn't get a vote, did you? In the referendum, like, I could have if I wanted to, but my passport wasn't active. Right. So, but my mate, he did. Vote. English mate. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah, someone who lived in Australia for what fifteen years moved out here when he was what 12, 13? Yeah. He he voted in in the referendum, and so yeah, like that, the thing that frustrated me, it was just made a, a pretty substanceless debate. Watch Nigel Farage own impacted um SJWs fo- football quite a bit. And yeah, it did Premier actually League. change like the work permit deals and yeah. that sort of thing. And even um like academy trying to English clubs would bring over academy players, right? Yeah, uh, from European clubs where they just they can't really do that anymore. And mm. Sean Dyke couldn't call it Brexit ball if he if that oh, didn't happen. So, so. true. <laughs> I was do you think it, do you think it kept week, Burnley up um, for a few more years? <laughs> I was trying to explain Brexit ball to my dad. Who's he, my dad is English. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he's he likes football, but he doesn't follow it or anything. Mm. And I'm like, no, 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 4-4-2. And the, the right, yeah, yeah, yeah it all funny. This week as well, that kids are coining um, Brex, like, oh, Brexit tackles. And it's just yeah. like yeah. a slide tackle. Yeah, yeah. Like totally. a real big, 
Oh, like yeah. tough slide tackles. <laughs> and yeah. that, so that's, that's a Brexit tackle. A, they don't that, even say tackle though. They just say that's a Brexit. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, they said to me, don't you know what a Brexit is? And I'm like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> I've heard that for red cards as well. Like you Brexited the game. Yeah. <laughs> you get sent off. For- it was like, I was like, Brexit was. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When, um... British, British won the European Union and they're like oh no it's just like a really British tough tackle won the European <laughs> Union <laughs> or they left <laughs> anyway yeah so it's um and again yeah, like yeah so much of it was void of substance and the debate just became a huge branding opportunity and so the 2016 leave gets over the line people are surprised no one's expecting to everyone's thinking Remain will get there comfortably some shout outs to some honor, like some honourable mentions in the Brexit campaign one was a guy called Michael Gove, a Tory MP. Mm. Another was a guy called Dominic Cummings, who didn't hold ministerial position, but was a chief of staff and was kind of a kind of behind the scenes strategist. Both of those will become really important later on. So, well, Michael Gove right now. So 2016 happens. David Cameron has to fall on his sword because he's put the referendum through and the British people have gone against Cameron. So he's like, I can't be the one that leads Brexit because I voted against it. I'll step down and someone else will come through. Mm. Everyone's thinking this is Boris. This is everyone thinking Boris is on now. Not yet. Because he was the leader of Brexit. Yeah. At least from the Conservative Party's perspective. Mm. And so you're thinking, well, this is Boris's chance. Boris puts his name, his hat in the ring, but to his shock, Michael Gove, his fellow Brexiteer, goes on record and says, I think Boris Johnson will be one of the worst prime ministers we've ever had. We cannot vote for Boris. <laughs> and he actually takes a whole bunch of Brexiteers away from Boris. Boris pulls out mm. of the running. Now, in the book, and I don't know what his sources are, he didn't specify, Boris allegedly said in the car after he pulled out, I don't know if I've made the right decision. And the author of the book kind of speculates on the fact that his apprehension about pulling out then might have led to him staying in office way longer than what was expected in 2022 when people were saying he should have resigned months before he actually resigned. So Boris pulls out. Do you know who takes over from David Cameron? <laughs> people are doing the actions to a T. <laughs> <laughs> Theresa May. Theresa May. <laughs> I like how we have uh, this good understanding of British politics through memes, basically. <laughs> like, I mean. Yeah, she's... 
They, that, like, like, for those who, who can't see PY's <laughs> phenomenal dance moves through this uh, <laughs> this audio medium, uh, what's the video called? Or what's she doing in that? She's walking she's out where, to the yeah, the Tory party conference, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. And she's just real. There's also... There's, it's like Peter Crouch-esque, kind of <laughs> yeah. the, the robot sort of thing. There's other clips of her dancing as well, though, right? <laughs> if I'm not the mistaken, one, the, the context of that is she's parodying. So she was dancing in, in I think, Africa? Africa, yeah. Yeah. And that became the first meme. And then when she walks out the second time, right. she's making a reference to a terrible dance moves the first time. Oh. But it's even worse the second time. <laughs> Should we watch it? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we'll come back. All right, so we're back. We've watched that. <laughs> Key takeaways from uh, from Teresa's, uh, Teresa's boogie. It just doesn't end. Like, uh, we just rewatched it then. For me in my head, it's a five second video. It goes for five, like, goes for 50 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah. She tries to hush the crowd, like, like four or five times, and they still applaud. So she dances a little more. <laughs> she gives the people what they want. Yeah. I mean, it looks like she was greatly admired by that, that room full of old white people. <laughs> and, well, here's the interesting thing. So, Teresa was a Remainer. Mm. That she was not a Brexiteer. Yeah. And she's now tasked with the job of getting Brexit done. Mm. And she has a factional enemy, Boris Johnson, who won the support of 52, 52% yeah. of the people. So she is very apprehensive and very worried about Boris Johnson. And so basically, whenever you've got an internal party rival you've kind of, and you're the leader, you've got two decisions you can make. Uh, have them in cabinet to keep them close and keep them happy or have them out of cabinet and kind of have them away from the power, but then they're going to be really angry and they'll be conspiring against you the whole time. Mm. Theresa May makes a pretty strange call. Makes She makes Boris Johnson the foreign secretary, the foreign minister, effectively. Mm. Any theories behind what's in it for Theresa? Is it just leveraging his foreign correspondence skills from, from 20 years ago. Back <laughs> she to rises Brussels. above internal party politics yeah. to recognise his game. <laughs> well, does it mean that she doesn't have to be the one to carry out Brexit, really, because she's not the foreign... That's one theory. Hmm. Okay. I don't believe that one. Yeah. Well, the reason why is because there's a Brexit secretary as well. Oh. Yeah, effectively a minister for Brexit was around at the same time. So they like they would have been the ones primarily responsible. Maybe make him responsible for dealing with the other countries who are angry with Brexit. So you kind of send Boris, because other countries are annoyed at Britain, make Boris have to be the one that goes to like the parties and the the mm-hmm. kind of functions. Oh yeah, sorry guys, that was me. That was, yeah. I did that one. <laughs> that wasn't Teresa. The other theory is just that because he's flying around talking to world leaders, he, he's not in London. So he's not chatting with other ministers and I see. gaining numbers against Theresa May. Mm. Send him away. We do want to get to his time in office. It's 41 minutes. We haven't actually gotten him in the prime minister yet. So I'll skip over a whole bunch of things. The one thing I will draw attention to from his time as the foreign minister. Do you remember England not going to the 2018 World Cup? Do you remember the kind of news story... Yeah. Do you remember the context behind that at all? Uh, like the actual English team or English fans? The English, like, yeah, English or just team. like England pulling out of the World Cup. The, the, like Russia, right? Yeah. Unsafe. And there was... There they, were, they, they had frets, right, as the, well. There were the Salisbury poisonings where a Russian... Uh, sorry, like a, a UK double agent was poisoned, allegedly, by Russia. And 
Johnson said that Russia hosting the World Cup was like Hitler hosting the 1936 Berlin Olympics mm. when Vladimir Putin mm. kind of gets his song and dance. And that, his anger towards Putin there, and he's, he's kind of branded himself as the guy that stands up to Putin, that's going to be really important at the back end of his time in office. Mm. Fast forward to 28 uh, after the World Cup. Um, Theresa May basically comes up with a plan for Brexit called the Checkers Plan. I didn't really understand it. I tried to read the like report. Jeremy Corbyn called it a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I kind of agree with him. Oh, other than that, I'm also probably just too stupid to understand it. But <laughs> basically the kind of key thing to take away was that it was what we call a soft Brexit, where there's still a lot of connection with the EU as opposed to a hard Brexit, yeah. mm. which was break ties with the EU. And so that actually doesn't get through the Conservative Party and the Tories don't support the checkers plan. Not good for Theresa May. No. She was the one tasked with getting Brexit done and she can't get Brexit done. Probably so, not quite as jovial as she was at the yeah. speech that we saw. <laughs> so yeah. she has to, well, she decides to resign and step down as prime minister in 2019. I will also add that, so 2015 was when David Cameron had an election. It is convention to have an election every five years in Britain. Theresa May called an early election in 2017 against Jeremy Corbyn, and they lost a lot of seats. They hung on by a thread, but they lost a mm. lot of seats to Labor. And so Theresa May was seen as a pretty big liability within the Conservative Party. So she resigns. Boris Johnson throws his hat in the ring, and he wins easily. Hands down, smashes it. Mm. And Boris wins on the promise that I will get Brexit done. It will be sorted by October. I think they. I think Theresa May stood down in what, maybe like June, July, something like that. And Boris is like, I'll get it done by October. If the EU doesn't like it, we'll leave with no deal. And Brexit will be done and will be sorted by October and we will leave by January. That was his promise. Slight issue for Boris though. There were a number of Tories who didn't like no deal Brexit and would not have voted in favour of a no deal Brexit. Boris wanted them out and he wanted them dealt with. Mm. So again, convention. How often is a UK election again? Five years. Five years. 2019, how long has it been since the last election? Four years. No. Or two years. Two years. One in oh, 2017. Yeah. Bruh. So. Let's keep up. Boris. Yeah, <laughs> so does that, re- that restarts the cycle, right? Yeah, it restarts yeah, the cycle. Yeah. Well, Boris- that's annoying because they were in five years. That was like 2015. I know. 2020. <laughs> 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 really messed with the, really made it asymmetrical. <laughs> and so Boris calls another one and he's like, we're on again here. Another early election. And basically his plan, what his campaign. So you can just have an election whenever you want. You can. So, but it's like, so maximum period you can wait is five. Mm. And it's generally considered poor form to keep constantly call early elections because it's destabilizing. It's quick turnover. Not in the spirit of politics. (laughs) (laughs) Surely Stuart Broad's got something to say about that. (laughs) When when Stuart Broad enters parliament, can I go? Can I I go today? Okay, cool, cool. And so... He calls one in 2019 and his, his election platform is get a Brexit done so that we can move on and vote the Tory party in so that we can get the no deal Brexit is in, get Brexit done, get it sorted with, then we can move on with our agenda. Boris Johnson smashes Jeremy Corbyn at this one. Yeah. Okay. It was a huge swing but against presumably, Corbyn. Presumably. Oh, so even, I guess if Labour were voted in though, even though they would originally not wanted Brexit, they would have to have had to carry it out. 
Yeah, Corbyn was um Corbyn was actually probably more pro Brexit than Theresa May was personally. Okay. I reckon. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, like the will of the people's been voted. Yeah. Like it'd be very unpopular for Labor to be like, we're not going to do what yeah. we've been what fifty two percent of people voted to do. Yeah. So they would have carried it out. They would have probably mm. had a, a, a softer Brexit rather than a hard Brexit. But Corbyn kind of had he had a lot of issues with the EU, and so. Corbyn gets smashed and Boris is like the really popular, yep, the kind of the mayor of London's back to save Britain here. The issue was it probably wasn't a reflection on Boris's popularity, but a reflection on Corbyn's lack of popularity. Hmm. There was, have you heard much about the anti-Semitism in Labour thing? No. It's pretty, um, I don't like, I don't delve in it too much because it does distract from the picture um, my views probably are a little non-PC here, but my basic opinion is I think Corbyn's been stitched up. So basically reports started to emerge that there was an issue of an anti-Semitic culture in the Labour Party. Corbyn on numerous occasions apologised for it and promised to kind of address it and said it's unacceptable, we don't tolerate anti-Semitism at all, we're, we're addressing it. There was kind of a media narrative that Corbyn never apologised for anti-Semitism and he was on ITV one morning and one kind of news anchor said, are you going to apologise for anti-Semitism? And by that point, the framing of the question has already been set. Mm. There's no real way out for Corbyn and Corbyn says, I don't accept anti-Semitism whatsoever. And the the interviewer says to him, no, that wasn't the question. Don't give me politics speak. Will you apologise for it? He goes, yes, I apologise. It's absolutely wrong. And by that point, the game's over. Yeah. And so, again... And because Corbyn had more pro-Palestine than pro-Israel views, especially in comparison with the Conservative Party, there's kind of that angle to go with as well. And I I think he gets pretty badly smeared. He's since been actually expelled from the Labor Party for basically, long story short, the report gets... So Corbyn loses, he steps down, a new guy called Steimer comes in and Steimer launches a report into anti-Semitism in Labor. The report finds that there is some anti-Semitism in Labour. Corbyn says any anti-Semitism in Labour is unacceptable, but I think the media has exaggerated how much of it was in Labour, which was factually true. Media Mm. reports were of one third of Labour were anti-Semitic when the report found something like 3%. And so he's like, obviously, one, one too many is too many, but I think it has been exaggerated. And Steimer's basically said, you're part of the problem. We've suspended you from the party. And then in March of this year... They said, we will not run you at the next election as Labor. If you're going to run, it's got to be as an independent. And so I get it from Labor's point of view because the anti-Semitism thing was toxic in the 2019. Like that's just a terrible stigma to have around you Mm. going into the election. And I think Corbyn's been made a bit of a sacrificial lamb. I remember thinking when I was in uni at the time, like I wasn't really invested in, in UK politics or anything. And I remember even me thinking like, man, this guy's just a communist, hey? Like this guy, like the the, the kind of sorry, the, you're saying you you were listening to the smear campaign. That's what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, fully. yeah, I was yeah, like, you, man, you... this guy this guy's an anti-Semitic communist. Like that yeah, was kind right. of. I was like, yeah, this guy this guy's horrendous. This guy's awful. He can't be the next leader. And I more looked into it. I'm like, oh, nah, this guy. I I think this guy's been pretty stitched up here. Hmm. And so anyway, Corbyn. I think the 2019 election was a referendum on Corbyn than it was on, more than it was on Boris. And so Boris becomes the leader in 2019, January of 2020, Brexit gets done. Hmm. Where were we? 
we were in, in amongst it. Yeah, yeah. on the on the mainland, <laughs> or maybe even no, we might have even been in England. I can't remember. Yeah, we were in London when Brexit happened. When it was officially done. Yeah. yeah. What were we? Which day was that? What were we doing that day? Oh, actually, no. So we went in London. By that point, we were in Liverpool. I think it was like mm. the twentieth of January or some somewhere around then. But we were in Parliament. The news. Yeah, we were in Parliament during the like last week before Brexit. Damn. Remember, we were at the, like out the front of. Of UK Parliament, where there was a European Union flags. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. A very minor protest going on there, or something. I yeah, remember. we can put the photo on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> actually, yeah, sign up for dollar fifty. <laughs> Boris also. So, to, actually, I didn't actually explain how Brexit got done. It got sorted in, in October. The deal got through. Boris kind of delivered on his promise, mm. and then kind of one with a huge election. So he's feeling pretty comfortable and pretty safe in his spot at the beginning of 2020. So Brexit gets done. He kind of toys with the idea of, do we have like an independence day holiday for Brexit? To <laughs> 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 The issue as well, Big Ben is under construction in 2020. Mm. That was really annoying, wasn't it? Yeah. Like you just went to look at it and it's just, <laughs> just, just scaffolding. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't chime Big Ben when Brexit gets done. Mm. That was really sad. But he's coming in quite popular. Yeah. Where does it all go wrong? Where does, does it all go wrong? How does it? COVID-19. COVID So G- January 7th, we were en route to London. Damn. Boris gets notified that the, the coronavirus is like, it's not a nice, it's not going to be isolated to China. Mm. That's when he gets told that this is going to be an issue. And there we are in in Korea or something yeah. like that. And we couldn't time. fly into China because... Because of PY's hyphenated yeah, last name. Trying to stop the airways. So basically, he gets notified about it. The UK's pandemic response scenarios were run in 2016, and they were deemed to be first class. Hmm. The issue was the pandemic that they had prepared for was a flu, not a respiratory virus. And Rookie error. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, yeah. If you just listen to his Eton training. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to know a lot about invertebrates, you know. <laughs> like, I think or two about bacteria as well. Now, obviously, COVID happens, and I don't want to delve too much into it because it was a really, you know, the, the talking point's been done to death. We mm. don't want to talk about COVID. The thing I do want to talk about was when Boris got COVID. No. Oh. Do you remember when he nearly died? Yeah, he got quite ill. Mm. He got taken to ICU, and so the chances were, the book was kind of going through it. ICU, you've got a one in four chance of surviving. One in two chance of going on a respirator. Yeah. If you're in ICU. If you're on a yeah. respirator, you've got a one in two chance of dying. Damn. So he had a one in four shot of dying. Like statistically, 25% chance when he was in ICU that he would have died. And mm. Boris kind of frequently attributes the NHS to saving his life. No wonder he wants to protect the NHS. Mm. Um, <laughs> apparently, in the book, when I don't know if it was... One of his, so that guy, Dominic Cummings, I mentioned before, he's one of his key advisors. I can't remember who it was. It might've been Cummings. It might've been his pregnant girlfriend, Carrie, at the time. Because remember, he had a son at like 50 years old in office. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them comes in and Boris Johnson says to them, Brexit must continue. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like dying. (laughs) If that's not a man of the people, I don't know what is. (laughs) Um, 
Long story short. <laughs> is that going to so be your me. your final words on After your deathbed? The- <laughs> <laughs> Brexit must continue. You <laughs> must the, um, contact me. Like in the late 1950s, the Manchester United uh, Munich air crash. Mm-hmm. Apparently, like, that's a cool, I guess, part of history or story. A story for another day. Like, yeah. But anyway, like, apparently, Matt Busby, who's the manager, he was in the ICU, I guess, equivalent in the hospital. And the assistant manager, who didn't go on the, the trip because he was uh, doing... He was also the assistant manager of Manchester United, but also the Wales the manager of Wales. He got Wales qualified for the World Cup at the same time the air crash happened. And mm. that was the only time Wales had ever qualified for the World Cup until the last World Cup. Anyway, he goes over there and apparently Matt Busby says to him, keep the red flag flying high. This <laughs> <laughs> is like... Did that happen? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, the main thing you need to know about COVID is, I think Britain had something like three or four lockdowns. They had a lot of lockdowns. Mm. And Rishi Sunak was the Chancellor of the Treasury, so Treasurer, and Rishi Sunak was opposed to a lot of the lockdowns. And so he's kind of in the anti-lockdown corner. But Boris Johnson, he kind of finds his angle as the guy who locked down Britain and effectively kind of Say like help save Britain. Yeah, we'll come back to COVID in just a moment. You sent me a message. I said we we're talking about Boris Johnson earlier. You sent me a message being like, "What was Boris Johnson's ideology?" The come short answer is, I don't know. He doesn't have much of an ideology, and he kind of again changes positions on a dime. He seemed to have a lot of kind of sensitivity towards a green Britain. That was his big thing of like. We need to kind of invest in renewable energy and make England kind of like a wind turbine powerhouse. Mm. Kind of conservative party in Australia versus Britain are very different. Britain doesn't have a vested interest in kind of mining or anything like that. So they're not donors to their conservative party, whereas the mining lobby has been huge donors towards our conservative party in Australia. So when you think conservative, you often think like slow to embrace green technology. Mm. In Britain, there's no real need because their con- like their conservative money making institution is banking in the financial sector, so the conservative party doesn't need to worry about kind of being slow to act on climate change or anything like that. Mm. So he did seem to toy with that idea. He really like there was this idea of kind of like leveling up of building infrastructure. Again, there was a ministry for leveling up, and he kind of toyed with the idea <laughs> like that the ministry for leveling up. <laughs> <laughs> It was like a self-help kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Avicii levels. <laughs> and he toyed with the idea of building a bridge to Northern Ireland. Then he toyed oh, yeah. with the idea I of- didn't know that Northern Ireland was separated oh, from, from England, it is. Is it really? There you go. So you- Not from Ireland. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, from, from mainland Britain. Yeah. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, and yeah. so there's, there's that. From there's the idea of when that doesn't work, what if we build a tunnel to Northern Ireland? Mm-hmm. There's an idea of, you know, why don't we replace our railway networks and build kind of like bullet train technology? His kind of proposal apparently was using 80s or 90s technology and he was really impressed with it at the time, but his advisors were like, wait for something bigger. The context of this, and we're going to talk about this on another podcast, is this is austerity Britain. Whereas the Conservative Party has said, during these financial hard times on the back of the GFC, we need to spend less and basically kind of not spend much public money. Mm. I don't think that's a good idea. 
and we'll discuss that in another podcast. Boris was kind of breaking conservative orthodoxy by saying we should spend this, this, and this. And the kind of Tory party is like, no, our mantra is austerity. We're going to kind of be fiscally responsible and cut the spending by a lot. Topic for another day, but that's where Boris breaks orthodoxy. Mm. When the invasion of the Ukraine happens, Boris obviously supports Zelensky and pledges a lot of support to Ukraine. He goes to visit Ukraine. He, behind the US, was the second largest contributor to, to, to the um, Ukrainian cause. There's all that going on. And that is the pretext to stop him from stepping down. And that's the kind of big thing of like, we cannot have Boris step down because he's fighting Putin effectively by mm. supporting Zelensky. Why did Boris need to step down? I can't he kept remember. having too many COVID parties. He had some COVID parties. Was that it in the end? Was it just Part- the COVID parties? Well, that would understandably infuriate. Oh, nation. yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. It um, was huge. Like, it's so hard to understand. So that's not just taken Boris down from being prime minister. Mm. It's taken him down from being an MP just last month. Mm. Wow. So basically, long story short, <laughs> Boris was having was having COVID parties one of Boris Johnson's party members was basically there was video footage of her briefing Tories on hand how to handle any questions you get about having lockdown parties. And the kind of grey area that kind of they were going with was because the parties were happening at well, a number of them were happening at Downing Street. Downing Street. <laughs> how did they think they were going to get away from it? It's, wor- it's a work event. Yeah. It's happening in the Prime Minister's office. And Johnson kind of argued that we were farewelling staff. And so it was work rather than a party. And anyway, that kind of goes on. It initially starts as like Boris was explaining it as like I left before it got out of hand. So when I left, we were following the rules. And then, yeah, once I left, then they broke the rules. That's on them. Then what happens is more footage comes out and it becomes very clear that Johnson was at those parties Mm. and was partaking in, in the parties. And one of his defense was I was ambushed by a cake I wasn't organising these parties. <laughs> was ambushed by a cake. Jake, Jake, the icing on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> this is his house as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, fast forward um, f- further in advance and it's becoming clear that he has not only been at those parties, but he has lied to Parliament about mm, being at those parties. That's a big no-no. And he's lied to Parliament about breaking the rules. And so initially, like, charges come out and he's like, look, I was at a party. I, I paid the kind of the penalty notice. I didn't know we were breaking the rules, but I respect the rule of law. Yada, yada, yada. Didn't know he was breaking the rules. <laughs> he's the prime minister. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he makes the rules. Uh, the defense is worse than the crime. <laughs> um, anyway, it becomes clear that he did know, like he did know, he's breaking the rules. A parliamentary inquiry into Partygate basically found that, yeah, that that, that that he lied to them and he lied to, lied to Parliament about Partygate. The issue was that he was losing ministers left, right, and centre over it. Rishi Sunak stood down, stood down, and then a number of his other key ministers stood down. Rishi Sunak stood down. How do he? Get, was, but how did he get back to the top so quickly after standing down? What do you? So he was sorry, didn't um so he didn't leave Parliament. He stood down as Chancellor of the Treasury. Right. So now Boris Johnson has no treasurer. Yeah. And so he's 
Oh, so has he stood down out of embarrassment for himself or out of a oh, not sorry, supporting? Resigned. I should have, like resigned in protest against Boris. Right. I, not, yeah. I, I thought you meant yes. Yeah, sorry. sorry yeah, he I will, thought he was. Although he was present too. Yeah, he hasn't come away squeaky clean from Partygate. Yeah. Yeah. And so, basically, Sunak steps down as treasurer, and Johnson doesn't have a government, and he still presses on for like a good two months after uh, the initial calls for him to step down. Mm. And his kind of loyal ministers are saying, the Ukraine crisis is happening. This is not the time to change leaders. We need to keep stability. This is a win for Putin. If Boris steps down, yada, yada, yada. Eventually, Boris steps down in July and he can't form, because he, like, he's just run out of key ministers and he's clearly lost the dressing room in the Conservative Party. Mm. Conservative Party put in Liz Truss. Liz Truss tries to pass... Um, a kind of financial reform that was much more in line with austerity. That gets rejected. She steps down. Rishi Sunak steps in as prime minister. Fast forward to June. And basically the there was a report, kind of like an ICAC sort of thing, a report committee into Partygate. The report was about to be released. And the report would have found that Boris Johnson be forcibly removed from parliament. Boris stood down before the report was released and resigned. Mm. The report has come out. And it is recommended that Boris Johnson be not allowed returning privileges, which is normally um, something made available to all prime ministers. They can come back to parliament whenever they want. And they said, we recommend that Boris not have that privilege. Wow. So the story's not done yet, I reckon. Oh my gosh. I reckon, like, um, I reckon we'll have more to say on this soon. Will Boris come back as an independent and try and leverage... Sunak under, undermining Brexit as some... Uh, maybe. There's maybe some mm. scope there. What I will finish with were his last words as Prime Minister. Oh, I'm excited. He said to Liz Truss... Brexit must continue. <laughs> even better, I reckon. He said to Liz Truss, look at, look, keep looking forward, but don't forget to look in the rearview mirror. Remember the one who helped um, kind of manage a pandemic and the one who took on a dictator in Putin. And with that... Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> and he gets like a standing ovation from um, everyone else. That's, that, that's yeah. boss. That is the story of Boris Johnson. Wow. What a tale. So far. Oh, true. Oh, Watch this space. Yeah. I mean, what an interesting character, right? He just doesn't seem like a real person. <laughs> it's like a, a caricature. Yeah. 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 He's... Yeah, I, I, I just, I, there's no way you could possibly round off this pod that could give any, like, the story speaks for itself. Mm. To finish with hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, yeah. In, like, this is the same, and again, this is the same to UK Parliament. Obviously, the House of Commons is a bit more raucous than the House of Lords. But have you seen the video of the House of Lords? Lords. Um, the, is there a slope in the House of Lords too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy who's like, he's like, he's like five minutes late for a meeting or whatever. He's a conservative, um, not senator, but whatever you call someone who sits in the House of Lords. And he comes in and he's like, I am so sorry for the discourtesy of being late. And I have reflected on it and oh, have concluded that the only due course is to resign from the House of Lords. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, the whole, it was like, no, don't resign. And like the, the labor woman's like, it was a minor discourtesy, something we are all guilty of. Please do not resign over this. <laughs> you're like, man, dis- free speech is alive. Yeah. This, this- They're not discussing invertebrate jellies oh. in the House of Lords. That's for sure. <laughs> 
And on that, I think we've got to call it there. We're way over time, but I love talking about Boris. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.